0: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. This, of course, is not the podcast that we wanted to do a few days after the Super Bowl, but this is the one that we are stuck with uh, by now. Of course, uh, you've gotten so much analysis on this Super Bowl Uh, Super Bowl 57 loss uh, the Eagles to the Chiefs and I know uh, you might have heard me talking about it in the immediate post-game reaction show. Um, Obviously Eagles fans have been in their feelings a lot of you I'm sure have been having a very difficult time getting over this loss and I'm I'm just going to try and put it in perspective here uh, during the course of this podcast. I have 10 random thoughts in the wake of the Super Bowl and those thoughts continue to change day by day uh, as I get a little bit more distance from this thing but uh, I'll give you those 10 random thoughts. Uh, Also, Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman met the media on Thursday for the first time since the Super Bowl loss. We'll go over some of the important bits of information that they had to share, and we'll take a look at the Eagles' pending free agents, who will stay, who should go. Uh, and how Howie Roseman is going to get this team back to the Super Bowl in 2023. Also, the NFL is considering doing something really stupid uh, that has benefited the Eagles this year. I'll go over that in the next few minutes as well, all here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. So, random thought number one here in the wake of the Super Bowl. And... It's kind of interesting that this Eagles season really came on the heels of that Philly season, that unexpected run to the World Series. It was almost like they are handing the baton off to each other here since both postseasons are being extended so much later into their sports respective years. You've got the World Series going until early November now basically had the Phillies hand things off to the Eagles who are in the middle of their unbeaten streak, and then the Eagles take it and run all the way to the Super Bowl, and now they're handing the baton back to the Phillies as they're getting ready for spring training. For someone like me, who these are my two favorite teams, these are the two teams I ride and die with, it's been great having so much constant content uh, to to talk about and to read about and to experience all these different games. I will say that unlike the 22 Phillies season, I don't feel... Nearly the same sense of joy at the completion of this season, nor do I have really the same kinds of memories following the 22 Eagles season and, and their playoff run. A lot of that is just the nature of the sports, right? In baseball, you have more games. There's, I mean, how many great games did we watch during the Phillies run to the world series? I mean, they had to win 11 games in order to get there. I think it was, they'd win 11 games in order to, uh, in order to win it all, but they had to win two in the first round, three in the second round, four in the third round. Uh, I mean, that's nine games right there. You have to win, in order to even just get to the World Series. And they won 11 games total. There's just so many memories you can pack into all those different games. With the Eagles, the playoffs were so short, it felt like. You know, it was great to watch them destroy the Giants. It was great to watch them destroy the 49ers. But they were almost, they're almost victimized by how great they were this year. When when you run up that kind of a record, and you establish yourself as the best team in the NFC, Really, the Super Bowl is the only acceptable outcome. And the way they lost that Super Bowl, after having a ten point halftime lead, with all of the different things that went wrong, with the defense's inability in the second half to get a stop, with the way that they were fooled so often throughout the game, with the slippery field, I'll get into more of that here in, in just a second. With some of the controversial calls, the 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 penalty at the end of the game, it just it feels incom it feels incomplete. It just feels hollow. It, it, there's, no, there's no closure to the season, you know? And, and you've got all these great NFL films, videos that are going to be coming out, looking back at Super Bowl 57. I'll, I'll watch them, but it's, it's going to be difficult. And, and the fact that they had a 10-point halftime lead in the Super Bowl and their dominance in the regular season... And in the playoffs, the only way that I think this season would have felt complete is if they won the Super Bowl. And I think to myself, would I have been happier if they actually lost by two or three touchdowns? If Jalen Hurts hadn't played quite as well and they just got they just got beat on that day? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think any of us can answer that question right away because the loss is still too fresh. But the season just feels empty to me. That's, that's the, the first random thought that I have of this season. And the further away we get from the game... The harder it is for me to get over. It really is. It's been it's been hard. I was on uh, uh, Jacob Sports uh, Media's uh, Birds Three Sixty Five on Thursday morning with Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Great show, by the way. If you guys uh, you guys should check it out if you haven't. Um, They're asking me, you know, through the st- seven stages of grief, where am I? And normally, acceptance comes at the end. I felt better about the loss right afterwards than I do now. Like I'm going in reverse order, I think, because right now I'm not accepting it. I'm, I'm kind of angry about it, and I'm, it, it's, it's really, it's really hitting me in a way that no sports outcome has really hit me in quite some time. It really is. I, I didn't think that, you know, I've got you know a family and I've got kids and. Sports, as much as I care about it, it's the, the the Eagles winning Super Bowl 52 really takes some of the, you know, some of the, the tension out of getting to a Super Bowl anymore. They got it. They got their Super Bowl, right? I experienced it in my lifetime. It's, can you imagine, can you imagine this game if the Eagles still hadn't won a Super Bowl yet? Can you imagine... What what it would be like? I mentioned this in the in the in the immediate reaction I, I show that we did. I can't I can't even fathom what the city would be like. So the further away we get from this game, the harder it is for me to get over. It's my first random thought. Random thought number two: I am not too stressed out about losing Shane Steichen or Jonathan Gannon. Steichen is by far the bigger loss, I think. And I saw the Marcus Hayes story, where he is going on and on about how Jonathan Gannon is by far the bigger loss. That's just being contrarian to be contrarian. There is no basis in insane reality that Jonathan Gannon is a bigger loss than Shane Steichen. I think there are more there are more voices and more pieces and more coaches on the offensive side of things within the Novacare Center, the Novacare complex, where Shane Steichen, I think, it's not going to be easy to replace him because he was phenomenal since taking over with the play calling duties. But I really think Brian Johnson, if it is him, and it, it sure sounds like NFL insiders are saying that it will be him. The Eagles certainly haven't made any announcements on that. But if it is Brian Johnson, he'll step in and, and do very well. The way he has been at the forefront of Hertz's meteoric improvement from his rookie year to what we saw this season and in the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I, you know, He's going to be working within Sirianni, Sirianni's offense. Calling the plays, and that was one of the things Nick Sirianni talked about at the news conference today. Was he is not going to go back to calling plays. He likes the way he does his job, and I think that's how he's most effective too. I think he's able to control the game. He's more aware of the situations, and if you can if you can entrust the play calling to someone who knows what they're doing, it just makes you so much more of an effective head coach. So I will miss Shane Steichen. I think it is a blow. This offense really uh, was doing a lot of really uh, was was doing a lot of really good things this year, but you know maybe a fresh voice and some new ideas will help as well. Jonathan Gannon, goodbye. He never once showed, in the two years that he was here, that he had the ability to beat a quality quarterback. Just never once had the ability to do it. Man, last, last year, we were chalking it up to the fact that he didn't have a whole lot of great personnel, and, and that certainly was true, but he also gave his personnel no chance at all to stop these guys by just giving them all this underneath, underneath stuff, not worrying about stopping the running game and giving, giving up 2nd and shorts and 3rd and shorts and just allowing these great quarterbacks to, to pick them apart. It reared its ugly head in the Super Bowl again. He never once has shown an ability to beat a quality quarterback. You don't have to beat them all. But one time, shut a good quarterback down, and I'm not talking about Kirk Cousins and Kyler Murray and Jared Goff. I'm talking about one of the elite guys. One time, slow them down. It's not that it's not that he didn't uh, that he that he his defense was just not great against him. I mean, you talk, just not competitive, not competitive. Whenever Patrick Mahomes was on the field in Super Bowl 57. The complete and total lack of adjustments in the fourth quarter. I mean, I'll even give Gannon the third quarter, right? Because they only allowed seven points of off on defense in the, in the first half of the game. Now, that was because Jalen Hurts turned the ball over on the fumble, so the offense was on the field for such a long time. Patrick Mahomes really didn't get on the field, but they did get a couple of big stops in that first half. And then something happened in the second half. The Chiefs made some adjustments, and Jonathan Gannon's group just never did. I mean, the one time, if you're going to make an adjustment, if you're going to change things, that final drive, when you tie the game at 35, try something else, man. Try something else. Stop watching your front four slip and slide all over the field. It was clear that your edge rushers were not going to get home. It was clear that Patrick Mahomes, even on the bad ankle, was mobile enough to move around the pocket and sprint away from your defense, which is mind-boggling to me. Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback, but you didn't do anything different to make him think of something different. Yes, I know Patrick Mahomes beats the Blitz. Patrick Mahomes beats everything. It doesn't mean you don't try different things. He was so scared of giving up a big play. You know what? One of the things Jim Schwartz said, if you remember in Super Bowl 52, right before the Brandon Graham strip sack, he went up to Doug Peterson, and this is on the NFL film stuff. You can go back and watch this. He says, I'm going to get real aggressive here because I'm either going to get the ball back for you or they're going to score real fast and you're going to get the ball back. But that was the idea, not to let them bleed time off the clock. Like if they're—if you're going to get beat, if the Patriots are going to go down and score a touchdown, they're going to do it fast. So you have an opportunity to get the ball back. But we're going to go and we're going to get aggressive here because we're going to try and make something happen. And not once did he do that. Not once did he do that in the fourth quarter and on that last drive. That last drive was the time to do it. Because there's five minutes left in the game. If you let Mahomes slowly move the ball down the field, you're not going to have time to mount a last-minute comeback. Now, as it turned out, if the ref doesn't throw that penalty flag, the Eagles do have a little bit of time, a minute 45, I think it would be one timeout, no timeouts, probably they would have had one timeout left to go down and kick a, a game-tying field goal, which would have been enough time. But you let them move from their own, what was it, 35 all the way down to the to the 10 with no resistance because you didn't try anything different. The fact they didn't try anything different, especially in that fourth quarter, was reprehensible. I'm just I'm disgusted about the whole thing. And that and that may be the most talented defense we will ever see this team have. They had great players throughout. And listen, yes, the players get deserve some blame. They absolutely deserve some blame. And you have to give some credit to Andy Reid as well. But you just they just didn't do anything differently. They didn't try anything. You cannot give up 24 second half points even to a team like the Chiefs like it was nothing when you've got that many good people on the field. They offered no Resistance. It was gross. Anyone they bring in will be better. I'm convinced of that. If you listen to the Philly Special Ringer podcast, Ben Solak talks about Shane Steichen in a way that really makes a whole lot of sense. Ben, former BGN guy, and just how what Steichen does, it works against the OK quarterbacks, the somewhat decent quarterbacks. But his style of defense, this, uh this don't let him beat you deep. This don't let it. Don't give up the big play. These great quarterbacks will eat you alive. And how many times have we had to see it over the two years that Gannon was here? I don't know what kind of defensive coordinator we're going to get. I I see that Vance Joseph is reportedly coming in for an interview soon. Vance Joseph uh, has not had a phenomenal career as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I was looking at something uh, Brandon Lee Laygatton posted on Bleeding Green Nation in 2016. Uh, he his uh, defense was 20th by DVOA, tied for 24th in opponent offensive points per game in 2019. Also 20th by DVOA, 28th in opponent offensive points per game in 2020. Uh, his uh, Broncos defenses uh, were oh no, sorry, it was uh, yeah, in, in, in with the Broncos they were they were 10th in DVOA, 10th in opponent offense. Points per game in 2021. Sixth in DVOA. Tenth in opponent offensive points per game. But then last year, 24th in DVOA. And dead last in opponent offensive points per game. I'm not sure that's the guy I want to bring in here. Uh, they could also go with uh, passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach Denard Wilson. He's certainly going to be uh, under consideration for a defensive coordinator here. But look, I, I, some, I, I lost confidence. I lost all confidence in Gannon. We saw that his defense works against the Brock Purdy's of the world and the Daniel Joneses of the world it does not work against the Patrick Mahomes of the world and i'm not saying they got to keep Patrick Mahomes to 7 points in this game but you saw what the Bengals did you saw what the Jaguars did against Patrick Mahomes at least offering some resistance especially the Bengals it's just it's just infuriating just absolutely infuriating and Nick Sirianni said during his news conference on Thursday that they are not going to rush things in terms of hiring coordinators they're going to take a long time with these guys in order to make sure that they get the right guy but just to give you one last point about how awful jonathan gannon's defense was in the super bowl um at GoBirds underscore 55 tweeted this out the eagles have played 400 games since the year 2000 among that sample The defensive performance in the Super Bowl ranked 391st in EPA per drive and 395th in success rate. It was, simply put, one of the worst defensive performances in franchise history since 2000 in the Super Bowl. And observation number three, every day brings fresh pain. Every time we get a new video, a new snippet, a new revelation – Maybe that's why I'm having such a hard time getting over it because it's just twisting the knife, and I guess I just got to get offline for a little, <laughs> for a little while, right? But I, I think one of the one of the new things uh, that we saw this week was that third and three co- that third and two call that resulted in the Eagles punting the ball away to the Chiefs, and then that punt return down to the down to the uh, five yard line is uh, a play that Jason Kelsey talked about this week as the play of the game, the, his biggest regret uh, on this play. Uh, the Chiefs are coming with a six-man rush. Uh, Dan Orlovsky noted this as well. He couldn't understand why the Eagles didn't run the ball there. Uh, a running play, as, as, uh, as Jalen Hurts saw what was coming, to, he should have checked into a running play there. They would have picked up the first down easily. And Jason Kelsey says it's the one play he'd want to get back because he didn't call the right protection. He thought he should change it, and then he decided not to at the last minute. And as we saw, Jalen Hurts got pressured immediately, had to sprint away to his left and couldn't find a receiver. It brings up a fourth and three, and then Sirianni decides to punt the ball away, which, by the way, I thought that was the right decision. If it's fourth and one, you go for it. Maybe even fourth and two, you think about going for it. But in that spot in the field... You've you've got to punt the ball away in that spot. I don't think you go for it. And and, and I know that people were talking about the San Francisco game uh, the week before or two weeks before when Nick Sirianni went for it back on his own 35. That was a fourth and one. And also bear in mind, Josh Johnson was the quarterback at that point in the game. Nick Sirianni could afford to take a gamble there. That was not the right time to go for it on fourth down. And he said in his news, in his press conference on Thursday, that 32 out of 32 head coaches would have punted the ball in that situation. And I think he's right. That did not, that I did not have a problem with. I had a problem, and Jason Kelsey had a problem, and Dan Orlovsky had a problem with the play call on third and two, on third and three that led to the punt, that led to an incomplete pass, which then led to the punt, which then led to the punt return to the five yard line. Um, that was the play that Jason Kelsey is having the hardest time getting over. And there, there's a bunch of them. There, there was a couple fourth down calls. Again, the decision to kick the field goal to go up 27 to 21. I didn't want them to kick three there. They had a 17 play drive going. I didn't want them to kick the field goal in that spot. But fourth and six, that is not a high percentage fourth down to go for. I, I know they're they're deep in Kansas City territory. But there's a lot that can go wrong on fourth and six, right? There, there's, it's, it, you could get it. You might get it. And they went, on, they went for it on a fourth and five earlier in the game. But that was more closer to midfield, where you were kind of an in-between land, where you didn't want to punt the ball away in that spot. That made more sense to go for it there. Here, you've got a guaranteed three points. And at this point in the game, you're expecting your defense to maybe make a stop like they did in the first half. Yeah, the the Chiefs took the opening kickoff in the second half and went right down the field. But you got to feel, okay, you kick a field goal, you get a little momentum back. Your guys have got to get a stop. Your defense has to get a stop. So I'm okay with kicking the field goal in that spot. If it's fourth and three, I probably want to go for it in that spot. But fourth and six... No, I'm not I'm not killing Nick Sirianni for fourth and six and kicking the field goal there. You, I, I'm all for aggressiveness. I really am. I'm all for aggression. I'm all for pedal to the metal. I'm all for doing that kind of stuff. You also have to be smart. I don't think in that situation it would have been smart to go for it. Fourth and six is not an easy fourth down conversion. It's not fourth and one. It's not fourth and two. It's not even fourth and three in that spot in the field. I probably wouldn't have gone for it if it was anything more than fourth and three. 4 yards, 5 yards, 6 yards. I just think it's too much and you're you're making a big risk and what if you what if you if you don't get it there? Oh my gosh. Now now panic sets in. Right? Now it's just a 3-point lead. You give the Chiefs the ball back and 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 they've got even more momentum. Now in the end at the end of the day, we didn't we didn't know how things would play out. I think if we could in hindsight being 2020, maybe you go for it there because you realize the 3 points didn't end up being enough. But you don't know that in the moment, so I did not have a problem with that call. All right, I'm on observation number four now, and I know I'm going through these pretty slowly. Quez Watkins dropped leading to the field goal on that drive that I was just talking about that ultimately ended in the field goal was brutal. Dude was just ridiculously terrible in the second half of the season. Full-on Jalen Rager in the second half of the season. How do you slow down on that pass? How do you not haul that ball in, dude? They need a better third receiver in 2023. Quez Watkins will probably be back on the team, but he should be their number four guy. They need somebody else. And I was disappointed in Zach Paschal this year. I was disappointed in Zach Paschal. We heard a lot about him when they signed him. Oh, what a great number three receiver he's going to be. Zach Paschal didn't. What was was a non-factor most weeks. He had a nice catch in the Super Bowl on a on a Jalen Hurts scramble for a first down. But other than that. Zach Pascal, very quiet. The Eagles have great receivers in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They need a third guy to kind of take a little bit of the pressure off of those guys and work the middle of the field a little bit. All right, observation number five. Jalen Hurts is going to get a huge contract, but it's possible the big number doesn't kick in next year. In fact, I think uh, when he gets his 47 to $52 million a year contract, I don't think that kicks in until 2024. So the Eagles can continue to put a roster around him in 2023 that allows them to spend some big bucks on other spots on the field, but eventually they're going to have to pay less for the spots around the quarterback. If he's making 50 to $53 million a year. And, and by the way, for people who are calling for Jalen hurts to volunteer, to take less, to fill in the other gaps around the, around the roster. That's not how it works. You, they're, they're not going to do that. The players' association would lose their minds, even if Jalen Hurts wanted to do that. The pressure on him not to do that because he's setting a bar for other quarterbacks. These things are lined up so that so that the Giants know what to pay Daniel Jones, and so then what the next team knows what to pay the next guy, um, Justin Herbert and um, and Joe Burrow when those guys get new contracts. So. Jalen Hurts is going to make his money. He's going to make a ton of money. And Howie Roseman is good at figuring this out. He's good at figuring out the cap. You don't have to stress about this. But that means that next year and the years after that, Jordan Davis has to step up and step into the breach and possibly replace either Javon Hargrave or Fletcher Cox. Jordan Davis had a very quiet rookie year, and it's because he had the concussion, and it's because he had the, uh, what was it, the ankle sprain, the high ankle sprain. He's got to stay healthy, and he's got to get pressure on the quarterback next year. He can't just be a guy who's like Linval Joseph. Linval Joseph was a a big addition to the team at midseason. But he's got to do more than that. He's got to get pressure on the quarterback. He's got to learn how to do those different things. And if you're still kind of wondering exactly what we have in Jordan Davis, you're not alone because I'm wondering as well. Cam Jurgens will either have to step in for Jason Kelsey if he decides to retire or for Isaac Samalo if he moves on in free agency. Cam Jurgens is ready to be a starting offensive lineman in this league, I think and he's probably going to get that chance. Nicobe Dean is going to have to step in and be a starting linebacker next year, whether that's for Kaiser White or TJ Edwards. I don't know if the Eagles are going to sign one of those guys. They're not going to re-sign both of them. I probably would lean on bringing back TJ Edwards, although I think the Eagles could do better at at both linebacker positions. And Nicobe Dean, you drafted him to be a starter starting in 2023. And so they're going to have to get something out of those guys, not even quite so much in 2023, although... Probably, probably more, absolutely more than they got in their rookie seasons, but moving beyond that in 2024 when Jalen Hurts' contract uh, kicks in big time. They're going to have to get some production from some of these draft picks last year and the ones that they're going to make here in April of this year. All right, observation number six, how on earth did the Eagles lose this Super Bowl with Jalen Hurts playing the way he did? It was a top-five QB performance in Super Bowl history. I mean, when you think about all the things that happened in this game, no team has ever lost a Super Bowl in the way this Eagles team lost this Super Bowl. Never. When you think about the halftime, when you couple the halftime lead and and how much, how much they dominated on the stat sheet and all of these numbers I'm going to read regarding how Jalen Hurts played, no team has lost when a quarterback has had this kind of a game, except maybe Tom Brady in Super Bowl 52. Tom Brady's Super Bowl 52 performance was ridiculous and otherworldly. And you know what? Coincidentally, it was a fumble by both guys that ultimately resulted in really being the big difference in the game. But Jalen Hurts did put together a top-five quarterback performance in Super Bowl history. In fact, uh, PFF graded it as the second-best performance in Super Bowl history uh, for a quarterback behind only Nick Foles in Super Bowl 52. Jalen Hurts had 374 of the Eagles' 417 total yards. He accounted for 374 yards, guys. He had four total touchdowns. The Eagles' offense scored 35 points. It was the first time a team had scored 35 or more Super Bowl uh, points in a Super Bowl and lost. It was the first time a player had four total touchdowns in the Super Bowl and lost. It was the second time a team blew at least a 10-point halftime lead in the Super Bowl. All of those things happened, which is why this loss is so hard to to to, to understand and to get over. Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC, and it's probably not all that close right now. Dak is second, and if he stays, Rodgers is probably third. If Derek Carr comes to the NFC, he probably slots in somewhere between third and fourth, maybe between second and third. But Hurts is the top dog, and it looks like he'll stay there for a while because San Francisco is stuck with a huge question mark at quarterback. Dak is good. But Dak has had trouble winning in the playoffs. The Giants have Daniel Jones. The Vikings have Kirk Cousins. The Lions have Goff. The Commanders have no one. Who is there to stop the Eagles from getting back to this game the next few years? If you're really looking at the quarterback position, it's it's going to be interesting. If, if Aaron Rodgers sticks around in Green Bay, Green Bay did not have a good season this year with Aaron Rodgers there. And, you know, maybe Jordan, maybe Jordan Love... If he becomes the starter, can mount a challenge uh, for against uh, Jalen Hurts. But right now, Jalen Hurts is the guy in the NFC and may now be a top three quarterback in the NFL. After that Super Bowl performance, everybody's a believer. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow are the clear one and two. I think Jalen Hurts is probably number three. I think he's jumped ahead of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. At least for me, he has. That's how transcendent that Super Bowl was for Jalen Hurts. All right. Takeaway number seven, why wasn't Andy Reid this good when he was with the Eagles in some of these championship games? Why wasn't he this good in Super Bowl 39? Just a little bit of bitterness on my part, but Andy Reid really was amazing with how he schemed up those two touchdown passes. Uh, Understanding that the Eagles defenders did not know how to handle pre-snap motion in this day and age, to not understand how to handle pre-snap motion is bonkers to me. But it's a simple thing, and Andy Reid figured it out. Number eight, in terms of how this game feels, I do believe that, for me, this game has moved past the Rondé Barber NFC Championship game loss in the Vets' final game as the worst loss in Eagles history. I was at that game. I was at the Rondé Barber game. I was sitting in the 600 level with my buddy Jeff and my uh, my other good friends, Ross and Mark. Um we were we were so sure the Eagles were going to go to the Super Bowl, and when Brian Mitchell returns that kickoff and down to the 30, and Deuce Staley runs it in on the second offensive play of the game, I to this day have never heard a stadium as loud as that Vet Stadium crowd was. I was so sure we were winning that game and going to the Super Bowl, and I remember how quiet it was. You could hear a pin drop walking out of that stadium after Ronde Barber picked off Donovan McNabb and ran it back the other way. I was at that game and that has that has been my lowest moment as a Philadelphia sports fan. But I think that this Super Bowl loss because that game wasn't for the for, wasn't for the Super Bowl. Right that game that game was not get to 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 win it all, it was just to get to the Super Bowl. This was an opportunity to win it all. Now, I realize maybe some of the sting is it shouldn't be quite as big because we did just watch this team win a Super Bowl five years ago, and so we have that legendary game. But even this Super Bowl loss, I don't know. It's it's a little harder for me to watch Super Bowl fifty two now. I don't know why, but this one is kind of kind kind of tainted that one a little bit for me. This 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 Super Bowl was is is really tough, really really tough. Uh, and I I have felt, man, I. It's, it's hard to swallow when you think of all the things that went wrong in this game, and if just one of those things goes right, one of those woulda, coulda, shoulda moments, if one of those things goes right, this team is a Super Bowl champion. And so I, I think that the way they lost, the, with the referee getting involved at the end of the game, I haven't even really talked about that all that much, that bothers me less and less as time goes on, because there were so many different opportunities for this team to put this game away, that... It's really hard for me to accept, and I'm having. I think. I think this Super Bowl has moved past the Rondé Barber game, as for me personally, the most painful Eagles loss in history. And I wonder if anybody who experienced that Rondé Barber game feels the same way. All right, observation number nine: the Hertz fumble. What an awful time for some horribly bad luck. But it was preceded by that Samalo false start on third and one. On the Kansas City side of the 50-yard line, they're setting up for a quarterback sneak. They're driving. They're up. They're up 14 to seven. They had the AJ Brown touchdown. They get a three and out from, or I think it was a, a, a six and out or whatever it was. They gave up a first down, but then got uh, Kansas City to punt the ball away. They're driving the ball. They have a third and one. I think it was on the Kansas City 47. They're lining up for a, a sneak, which you know they are going to convert to give them a first down. It would have put them within 15 yards of a field goal that would have at least made it 17 to seven. Or maybe they they punch it in for a t- touchdown that makes it 21 to 7 and they have all the momentum in the world and then Jalen Hurts just dropped the ball and you can't kill the guy for it it's just one of those dumb things it just he he was trying to sneak it, it, you know they Jay, Isaac Samalo gets a false start so now they have to make it third and six it looked like a design quarterback draw it wasn't going anywhere they were going to stuff that play there was uh, Mahomes, uh, uh, not Mahomes Hurts had nowhere to go so that he was getting dropped in the backfield they were going to punt the ball away there but to just hand them seven points like that is ju- it was just to me, I th- that I still think that's the if you're being realistic and you don't want to you don't want to. I mean, th- obviously, the way the defense played had a larger f- impact on this team losing this game. But if you're looking at one play, one moment, one thing, that was the difference. It was handing the Chiefs seven points in a game that you lost by three to just hand them the ball. I mean, Jalen Hurts couldn't have handed it to them any better to tell them to walk in, to tie the game at 14. It was a momentum killer, and even though they went into halftime ahead by 10, at the end of the day, the Eagles had a chance to put that game away at halftime, to build up a dominating lead at halftime, and they were not able to do it because they handed the Chiefs seven free points. The last observation is the playing field. We're not talking about this enough. The field playing surface completely eliminated perhaps the biggest advantage the Eagles had, their edge rushers getting to Mahomes. I don't know. I've seen some stories about who was responsible for the playing surface. Apparently he was a former Kansas City Chiefs grounds crew guy. Um, do I think there's a conspiracy theory that he, he told the chiefs that what kind of cleats they had to wear in order to not slip and slide because the Eagles did slip and slide on this field more than the chiefs players did. I'm not going to believe in any conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm not doing that, but the, there was a disgrace on the, in, in, the biggest game of the season, the field took away one of the key. What did we say all week leading up to that game? The key to the Eagles Winning this game is getting pressure on Mahomes from the front four. We said it day in and day out. They had to get pressure on Mahomes in order to win this game. It had to come from Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham. They had to get to him. And you just saw him. Jimmy Kemski put out a great video of how many times those guys actually lost their footing trying to rush the quarterback. It became pretty clear in the fourth quarter that they were not going to be able to rush on the edges like that and had to start trying different things, and they just couldn't penetrate. They couldn't get through. And Mahomes had all day to throw. I, we, as important as that matchup was, for that to be completely taken out, not because of the Chiefs' offensive line and their tackles and the way they played, but for it to happen because they are playing on an ice skating rink is reprehensible that's it. That's it. Those are my Super Bowl observations, guys. I know that was a very long rant. I really appreciate you listening to that. But here on Eye on the Enemy, I had to get that off my chest. It felt cathartic. Maybe now I can start to to kind of put this <laughs> aside a little bit. I'll take a quick break when I come back. We're gonna go over the Eagles free agents and one rule change that the NFL is reportedly considering, which could have a big impact on what the Eagles like to do, and it's stupid this idea for a rule change. We'll talk about that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. <music> And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. All right, so the Eagles, as you all know, have a number of free agents. Uh, that they could potentially lose, running down the list of the big ones. I'm not going to mention some of the uh, the, the lesser-known guys or the, the the minor guys who really didn't have much of an impact on the team this year. Uh, defensive end Brandon Graham, uh, 34 years old. He is now an official free agent. Uh, it be interesting to see if the Eagles bring him back. Robert Quinn is a free agent. What a bust, man. That, would, that I thought, really thought when they brought him aboard he was going to be able to add something, but really gave this team nothing. Uh, since coming over from the Chicago Bears in midseason. What a fall for that dude. Uh, defensive tackle is a big spot. Fletcher Cox. Javon Hargrave, Linval Joseph, and Ndamukong Sue, all free agents. James Bradbury is a free agent. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, 25-year-old, free agent. Marcus Epps is a free agent. On the offensive line, Andre Dillard and Isaac Samalo and Jason Kelsey are all free agents. Uh, linebackers, Kaiser White, T.J. Edwards, free agents. Boston Scott and Miles Sanders are free agents. Gardner Minshew is a free agent. They're going to have to get a backup quarterback next year. I don't know who that's going to be. And then Zach Paschal. Uh, is a free agent uh, at the wide receiver spot. So who should stay? I I think the number one priority of all of these guys has to be re-signing CJGJ. He was a playmaker this year, and he's the youngest free agent, uh, one of the youngest free agents that they have. He's an impact player just entering the prime of his career. He's 25 years old. I think he's the guy you have to make it a point to sign. He's on his social media. He's already saying, thank you, Philadelphia. So I hope that doesn't mean he's on his way out the door. But if I had to choose one guy and normally I'm a guy who, who insists on building in the trenches first, I think at this particular spot, you're so weak at safety. CJGJ has to be that guy. I would make him my number one priority to resign. Um, my, my number two priority would be to re-sign Bradbury. Bradbury was so good this year, and it was just so comforting to have two lockdown cornerbacks, Darius Slay and Bradbury, one on each side of the field. I don't think they were used all that great. I don't think Jonathan Gannon, um, I don't think he used them in a, in the right way. Sometimes not following the team's best receivers. A lot of times, um, you know, Travis Kelsey is, is out there. Maybe you have one of those guys on, on Travis Kelsey and, and figure something out, but I'm a little concerned that Brad will cost too much, but, uh, I would, he'd be my, the second guy that I would bring back. Um, Javon Hargrave had a phenomenal year. My only issue with bringing back Hargrave is that he's 30. And that he's going to start to get a little bit older now. And I worry if you sign him to a big contract that you're not... That I think they've already gotten the best of Javon Hargrave. And I, I wonder if there's not somebody in the draft or somebody else out there uh, in free agency who uh, would be a better fit for what the Eagles are, are going to be looking to do. My, my, my concern over bringing back Hargrave uh, would be that he would start to um, decline. Now, could you franchise tag him? Maybe. It's a big number. Uh, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's a big number uh, on the franchise tag there. Um, and if you're bringing back anybody else, it might be it might be too big a number for for just one season. So I think Hargrave is gone, um, and I do think he I do think his numbers will start to decline here over the next few years. As good as he was this year, um, I probably would not bring him back. I would bring back Brandon Graham on a one year deal. I would probably bring Fletcher Cox back on a one year deal if they're willing to do that, as long as they're willing to continue to um, you know contribute in the way they did this year with with lesser snaps i don't think either guy will be as good but I think you're going to need um, to bring Brandon Graham back and just bring, let's run it back with these edge rushers with the exception of Robert Quinn. Um, And I think they probably will bring back TJ Edwards. I think they like the fact that they found this guy as an undrafted free agent. TJ Edwards is not the strongest linebacker in the world, uh, but he's a decent player. uh, And I think if you are able to go out and I think if you're able to develop N'Kobe Dean, uh, alongside T.J. Edwards that could give you a couple of good linebackers there. Um, Edwards has really improved himself over the years, but he does have limitations. Um, I think they will probably bring back T.J. Edwards. Who goes? Well, I think I think Bradbury probably will go elsewhere. Um, Marcus Epps is an interesting name. He played pretty well this year. He can't cover worth a darn. Now, might he get better in that area? It's possible. He's a young player. He could get better in covering tight ends and covering running backs, covering the, re- the occasional slot receiver. I don't know that that's ever going to be a big part of his game. Uh, if there's a way to upgrade from Marcus Epps, I'd certainly look to upgrade there, but um, I would definitely consider bringing him back. Dillard and Sayamalo are as good as gone. Actually, that's not true. Isaac Sayamalo, could, I guess, could be back. But I also think, you know, it depends what happens with Jason Kelsey. What what I I would love to run this offensive line back another year, obviously. Um I think Kelsey's going to come back. I think he's going to come back. I think that I think he was healthy this year. It certainly seemed like he 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 finished the season strong, finished the season healthy. He's just as athletic and dominant as he's ever been and i wonder if jason kelsey comes back if sam malo doesn't also come back but sam going to want a big free agent deal he's shown that he can be a productive player in the league and um you know i think if uh, if if Halapulavati Vitae can get a big free agent deal isaac sam certainly should be able to get a big free agent deal so i think there's a good possibility sam malo will go miles sanders i do believe will go really he disappeared at the end of the season i know he's battling some injuries and i wonder if he got his bell rung in the super bowl but he did not look good in the Super Bowl, and his production really dropped off big time as the season went along. I do think Gardner Minshew will go, and Zach Pascal will go. And I don't know who the backup quarterback is going to be. That's one of the things we can talk about here in the many intervening weeks and months that we will have before uh, we get an official NFL game in the regular season uh, going again in September. Um, but anyway, we'll keep an eye out on the free agents, obviously, and there are certainly other free agents that other teams are losing who may interest Howie Roseman and and we'll be looking to add some guys in the draft as well, so I, I think this 2023 team they'll figure out a way to fill the holes and and give Howie Roseman I mean, sorry and give Nick Sirianni a good team moving forward. All right, one last thing here before we wrap up. Saw this today on the Twitter machine. The NFL Competition Committee might look to remove the tush push play as it's called that's the QB sneak call that has been so dominant for the Eagles and Jalen Hurts this year where they line up behind Jalen Hurts and uh, the dude squat 600 pounds so when you have two running backs pushing on the back of a dude or the glutes of a back who can squat 600 pounds you're gonna get that yard and I guess the question I have is why it's not a competitive disadvantage every team can do it are we upset that it looks like rugby? Are we upset that it doesn't look like a football play? You you can't look any more football than guys on the line of scrimmage grinding it out trying to get a yard. Trying to trying to push each other off the ball to get a yard. I have I have it just doesn't make any sense. Every team could do this if they want. Every team, every team could do it. So I don't understand why it unless it just people think it looks lame. I think it's I think it's fascinating how the Eagles are so good at it. And it's I, I, obviously the Eagles will be upset. I'll be upset if this if this rule gets changed because it is such a security blanket to know if you're if you're a yard and a half away, you're going to get the first down if you line up like that and you and you do the tush push play. It. I mean, it's just it's 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 a it's it's a it's a, it's a solution searching for a problem. There's no need to do it. Or, or, or is the rest of the NFL really that upset about this? Like, why? Because the Eagles are good at it, you could be good at it too. Do it yourselves. This is not a difficult play. This is this is not drawing it up on the board and X's and O's in it and putting guys in motion and all that. It's just men pushing on men. That's football. I I don't get it, man. I I don't get the I don't get being upset about that and and wanting to make that rule go away. And I'm not just saying that because it benefits the Eagles. Every team could do it if they want to. Every team could do the tush push. I I just doesn't make any sense to me. It's a solution looking for a problem. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. I I hope my long soliloquy at the start of this podcast at least kind of – Helps us all to commiserate together. It felt good for me to talk about it and get it off my chest. And I know that uh, for a lot of you, you've probably been doing that to your family members who are who are just begging for you to get offline and talk about anything else because I'm I'm doing the same thing. I've got to focus on other things. Uh, and over these next few weeks and months, we're going to really start looking ahead. We're going to put the Super Bowl behind us. We're going to start talking draft. We're going to start talking free agency. We're going to start talking about trades, and uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, contract stuff with uh, with Jalen Hurts. There's lots of great stuff for us to continue to talk talk about here over these next few weeks and months. What I will be planning to do is have some more of the national writers come on board. Some of the other uh, folks from the Philadelphia Eagles, community join the show uh, as we take a look back on the season as a whole and really focus on looking forward to 2023 and beyond that's the plan for eye on the enemy here as we get ready to start the offseason thanks all of you for tuning in to this podcast during sort during the course of what was a very 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 good 2022 season i really appreciate all of you who are listening to all of i i thank all of our all of my guests who came on this week to give us so much inside information and to help us keep an eye on all of the enemies the eagles face this this year. We're going to do it all again next year. So thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy.